This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning, uh, we are wrapping up our sermon series on the book of James. And we have spent the last uh, three weeks uh, walking through this very short book. It is just five chapters, uh, with the hope that uh, we as a people uh, might collectively move through uh, the book of James, learning uh, God's Word, learning how to dive into God's Word, and how to uh, read devotionally uh, these words of Scripture. Uh, we've been reminded of the verse that's circled on your bulletin, and that will probably be on your screen uh, right here as well, uh, that James is inviting us not simply to be a people who hear and listen to Scripture, but to be a people who, when we hear God's Word, we also become doers of God's Word, that we would live this out in the world, that we would practice uh, what it means uh, to be a people formed and shaped uh, by this living, uh, living word of, of God. And so that has been our hope, and that has been our prayer uh, throughout this series. Uh, this past week, I actually uh, taught a confirmation for the first time this year. We've just restarted our confirmation process. Uh, just so you all are aware, we have about 50 uh, middle schoolers who are going through uh, the confirmation process this year. And they meet with their parents uh, and some of us on Wednesdays and Sundays. They split up in half, typically. So I'll be teaching the second half of that group uh, tonight. And I would just, one of the things that we found out this week is we were teaching. We start in the beginning. Uh, we start with Genesis 1. We start with creation. And I just had them open up their Bibles. Uh, and one thing that I recognized pretty quickly uh, is that even for our confirmands, we're asking these same three questions we've come back to throughout this entire series. Uh, the question is, you know, where do you see God in the Scriptures? You know, what do you learn about God? How do you imagine God? How do you experience God uh, throughout Scripture? Uh, what do you learn about yourself? Uh, where do you see yourself in Scripture? And how might you learn about humankind and about uh, God's relationship with us? And then finally, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, or why does this matter uh, for your lives? And that really is the core question that we're asking our middle schoolers, is you know, the stories that we tell, uh, the Scripture that we read, the prayers that we pray, uh, the traditions that we engage in, uh, you know, why do they matter for our lives? And they're asking that particular question at this season in their life, because we invite them to make a decision for themselves. We recognize that just being in church on Sunday morning, just gathering with their parents or their friends or their families, uh, in and of itself, uh, does not actually uh, fully help them fully realize discipleship. That following Christ takes them to uh, publicly choose, to profess faith, uh, and to choose to follow Christ, to choose to make this relationship with God something significant for the rest of their lives. And so I would just invite you to be praying for them, uh, praying for these 50 young people who are on that journey right now. Uh, pray for their parents. Uh, we decided several years ago that parents would journey with them. There's also mentors there. Uh, but I had several parents look at me uh, on Wednesday, and I was talking about creation and the relationship between the Bible and science. And, and some of them looked at me and said, um, please don't make them ask me those questions. <laughs> but that's the part of the journey, is that they get a journey with us and journey with their kids. And so we're praying for those parents and these families and pray that as they go through this journey, they might see clearly uh, why God matters uh, for their lives. Uh, this morning, we're continuing that conversation for ourselves as well. Uh, we're continuing the conversation about Scripture and about these stories of Scripture and how uh, we will experience uh, this Word and how the living Word of God might shape us and form us uh, and draw us closer to God so that we might be different, we might look differently because of it. And that has been my prayer and my hope uh, throughout this series. Uh, so we're going to just dive in to James. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are a few Bibles in your pews. We invite you to open those. 
uh, and set them on your laps and open to James chapter 5. And we're going to hang out there most of this morning. And so um, it's helpful, I think, sometimes to have a physical scripture in your hands. Uh, some of you will be using an app, and I invite you to do that's fine as well. Uh, if you take notes, uh, there's space in your bulletin to take notes. You can use the white space. Uh, we also shared last week, I believe, in this space, Amanda did, that there's also a note-taking ability now uh, in our Apex UMC Church app. And so if you'd like to take notes there and then email them to yourselves, uh, you can do that uh, as well. As you're finding James chapter 5, I think it's on page 231 of your pew Bibles. Uh, and just a hint, the, the kids told us it's in the New Testament. Uh, so it's the second half of the Bible. And in your Bibles, uh, the numbers restart um, Old Testament, New Testament. So 231 is actually not near the beginning. It's near the end. Uh, it's before Revelation, before you get there uh, in that space. While you're opening Scripture, I want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, one is that we recognize that we can read Scripture and engage in God's Word in several ways. Uh, one way that we do that uh, as a church, and it's a consistent practice for us, uh, is thematically. Uh, we look at themes in Scripture, and we see where God's Word uh, bubbles up and it offers us different themes. We did that uh, to start the year this year as we looked at the theme of Sabbath and how uh, our busy lives require a new pattern, a new rhythm. And we jumped around Scripture and just saw where God spoke about Sabbath, spoke about rest uh, in several places. And so uh, that's one way that we approach Scripture. Another way we approach Scripture uh, is through uh, exposition. Expository preaching and teaching is when you uh, walk through Scripture uh, line by line, uh, sometimes looking at it historically or critically, uh, trying to understand the historical message that's happening there or the context into which it is written. And so sometimes that's how we approach Scripture. As we've taught and walked through James, we're reminded of the history that's happening there, when it was written, uh, who wrote it, those sorts of things. And sometimes we work through Scripture devotionally. And and our intent throughout this series uh, is really to be a time uh, when we looked at Scripture uh, through a devotional lens. And what we mean by that is my hope and prayer is that when we approach Scripture, we approach it prayerfully and purposefully, uh, praying that God would reveal to us a word for us that comes out of God's living word. And so that's the particular approach we're taking throughout this series. And we've used those three questions Uh, Where do we see God? Uh, Where do we see ourselves? And what does this mean for me next? Or what is next? Uh, To help shape our imagination as we hear Scripture. Uh, So once again this morning, we'll use that as our framework as we listen uh, to God's Word from the letter of James. So we'll be reading from chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. This is what James writes. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded to its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we engage scripture again this morning, uh, we ask the question, where do you see God in these verses? Where do you see uh, teaching about the nature of God or who God is or our relationship uh, with God? And so we're going to begin just there with verse 13. There are questions that James James asked. He asked the question, are are any among you suffering? And then he gives a response. They should pray. Are any among you cheerful? And he gives another response. He says, they should sing songs of praise. From the very beginning of James 5, beginning with verse 13, we see this emphasis on the theme of connecting with God. You know, many of us come here this morning from lots of places. Some from places of suffering. Knowing people that we love are sick or we've lost people too soon. We come from places of chaos and complexity. I know that for those of you who brought children here to church this morning, there were lots of them. Uh, Even getting to church in the morning uh, sometimes creates undue suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Many of us come from cheerful places, uh, places where we can give thanks and celebrate the joy uh, that is in our lives, can celebrate the joy and and with thanksgiving those things that God gives to us. And the appropriate response, according to James, is two things. The first is prayer. The second is praise. We are to connect in relationship to God through those two things. When I asked our children a little while ago, who do we talk to when we pray? We talk to God. We encounter God through prayer. John Wesley believed that prayer was a means of grace. It was a way by which we might encounter the living God. And that is one of the themes that we see, again, throughout this passage in James. This past week, when I was teaching confirmation, I actually showed them an image. And again, we started with creation. I think we've got a whiteboard image, uh, John. And what this whiteboard image is, is it's uh, three things. And what I said as we were reading from the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, that what Genesis teaches us about, what creation teaches us about, it teaches us about God. We learn about who God is and and what God does. We learn about each other, human beings. We learn about the created human being, male and female. Uh, We learn about nature. We learn about the world, the created world, the animals and the Uh, the earth and the water and the sea and the heavens. And and we also learn about the relationship between these three things. You learn about how God relates to us, how God relates to nature and how we are to relate uh, to nature and to each other. You know, from the very beginning, uh, we experience that God created us to be in particular relationships. We are a relational people. The other three circles that I drew, uh, as you can sort of see there, we'll pull up as well. There's one more slide, John is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now in the church, we have a name for this. Who knows the name for that? Trinity. Trinity, that's right. And so we have Trinity. And Trinity is all about, again, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God, and God the Holy Spirit. God's personhood, the way we experience God, is actually in relationship. The, the Trinity is the relational nature of God. And so even in God, as God has revealed to us in Trinity, we actually experience relationship. And so from the very beginning, that's how we know it. Now, one of the beautiful things about Genesis is we actually see all three persons right there in creation. It says God created the heavens and the earth, and the way he did that is he spoke. And then there's a a word in there that said his breath, or the wind of God. That word is ruah. Can you guys say ruah? Uh, the middle schoolers were way better than y'all. You guys were like, do I really have to say this? No, really. Can y'all say Ruah? Ruah. 
Ruach. It's the breath of God. The Holy Spirit of God was breathed out, and it's through the Holy Spirit that the creation was manifested. In John chapter 1, it talks about the, the Logos, the L-O-G-O-S, the Logos, Logos, the Word of God. It says the Word was with God, the Word was God from the beginning. Jesus, the Word, the, the physical manifestation of God was made known from the very beginning. And so in the beginning, we experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We experience Trinity. And so one of the things that James reminds us of is that we are to be a people who are constantly called back to that relationship. Relationship to God, healthy relationship with one another, and relationship with our creation. And we know that from the very beginning of Scripture. I'm going to keep going on and come to James verse 13. We're just going to read through it. Verse 14. It says this, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. We'll come back to verse 14 in a minute when we talk about uh, what we are to do with this passage. But again, right there in verse 14, it's about relationship. This time the relationship with the body, relationship with the church. Uh, Verse 15, The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. And the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Now, this is not the only place that we see healing and forgiveness tied together in Scripture. It actually happens a lot. This idea of physical healing as well as spiritual healing. Again, I'm going to invite you to flip with me to Luke uh, chapter 5. Luke is the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Luke 5, we see Jesus actually have a similar encounter. Now, again, I want to remind you that James, uh, the one who wrote the letter of James, was likely an apostle of Jesus. And if not an apostle, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the brother of Jesus, a close relative. That's for you. That's right. And so we know that James knew Jesus well. And because he knew Jesus well, uh, the words that you hear, the stories that you hear in Scripture are... uh, and James are actually a lot very familiar with the Gospels. They're very much tied to that same language. So this is Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. It says, One day while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers, teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. And they were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now again, this is a man who is paralyzed, carried to Jesus on a mat, uh, lowered through a roof because the crowds are so full. And Jesus' first response to him, are your sins are forgiven. And then verse 21 Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their questions, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, Stand up, take your bed, and go home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. 
And so in James, in James 5, we see echoes of this story. We're reminded that when we come for physical healing, God also offers us, more often than not, this spiritual healing. You know, we recognize that there is sin. This is, again, the nature of God and nature of our relationship between us and God. There is sin that breaks that relationship. You know, we were created a particular way, in the image of God, in the imago Dei, the likeness of God. But when we make choices to turn from God, we, those choices break that relationship. And one of the things we've been talking a lot with our children about lately is that choices have consequences. Now, the nice thing is our children are 8 and 10, or almost 10, uh, and the choices that they make, uh, typically the result of those, the consequences of, of those, are more likely to be things like a lost soccer ball, uh, because they simply forgot it at the soccer fields, uh, or it could be that we're just a few minutes late for school because they think that whatever's on TV is more important than getting dressed or making their lunches. But the danger is, and while we're teaching this to them at such a young age, is because as they grow up, uh, those choices become more difficult and more complex, and the consequences have potential to be more severe. And I want our children right now to know that the choices they make matter. Now, the good news of the gospel is, no matter what our choices have been, and no matter how broken our relationships are as a result of those choices, God, through Jesus, offers us forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. That's God's invitation. That's the good news that we're reminded of in James. Because James is, again, talking about not just physical healing, something that physically might separate us or cause us to be distracted from those things, but this spiritual healing that restores us to right relationship to God. And I think one of the questions that we will ask is, how are we using that power and using that freedom to be restored and renewed uh, to God? So second question. So the first question was, where do we see God? We see God in relationship. We see God in forgiveness. We see God in healing. Where do we see ourselves? And again, I think these will overlap quite a bit, uh, especially since we're talking about our relationship to God. But I wonder where you see yourself in this passage this morning. Again, I'm going to flip to verse 13. Are any among you suffering? Are any cheerful? Again, many of us might come to this place with a particular posture. Are we experiencing suffering? Are we experiencing illness or sadness or brokenness? Are our relationships whole? Are we cheerful? Are we experiencing the joy that God has for us? And in those places, how are we responding? Are we responding with prayer? Are we responding with disciplines of prayer? Are we responding with praise? Are we responding with, responding with a way to, to share with God and, and celebrate the work that God does? But in either case, God's inviting us into those relational aspects. We'll jump to verse 17. It says, Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about Elijah. And if you remember, in the Sabbath sermon series, we talked about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in a time where Israel had turned its back on God. The people and the leaders of Israel had begun worshiping another god. They worshiped Baal. And Elijah was the one that through prayer that God chose to use uh, to invite Israel back to right relationship with God. So that's who Elijah is. And it says, Elijah, like us, again, maybe we see ourselves there as people who are used by God to invite people to restore relationship with God. Verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save a sinner's soul from death. 
and will cover a multitude of sins. Once again, maybe you see yourself in the shoes of the sinner needing to be brought back into relationship with God. And maybe you see yourself as one who is able to help restore the other. In either case, the question is, where do you see yourself in those places? You know, as a pastor, I get all sorts of questions. Uh, The questions range from sort of deeply theological or inquisitive about things of theology. You know, questions like, you know, what is heaven like? You know, do do our pets go to heaven? Uh, Questions like, uh, when will the end times come? We have, we're teaching the book of Daniel in our Monday morning Bible study with our senior adults. And it's all about end time prophecy, the second half of Daniel. Uh, We finished tomorrow. I've survived the first, you know, 12 chapters of Daniel with that group. But it's been a great study. And again, some of the questions that are asked are, what does it look like for us in the end time? Or, or what is the nature of God and the nature of God's relationship with human beings? Some of the questions are ecclesial or about the church. And I have people that ask me all the time, you know, what do Methodists believe? You know, what do Methodists believe about baptism? Why do you baptize infants? You know, why do you sprinkle instead of immerse? Just for the record, we do both. But they ask all sorts of questions about the Methodist church. Most of the people ask me, aren't you the pastor that moves a lot? Like, is that... Isn't that what Methodists do? But most of the questions that I receive are deeply personal. People ask questions like, when we've made choices that have broken relationships, or when we've experienced things that have broken apart families, or caused mistrust, uh, can we be forgiven? What does hope look like? When we have a child who is sick, or maybe we lose a family member too soon, the question is, why us? Why now? Why this? We have people that ask all sorts of questions about you know, their children or their families' relationships. And, and these deep questions are often rooted in a final question, which is what does it mean for my relationship with God and my relationship with others? And I think one of James's invitations is to remind us that if, we, if our desire is to experience restoration, is to experience forgiveness from sin, that God makes that possible through Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. The last piece of this is what do we go from here? What does this mean for our lives? What do we do with this scripture? And again, there's lots of places we can go, but the place that I'd like to hang out in for a minute is a prayer that I will often pray when we do our prayers of our people. When we pray, one of the times, a line that I often will insert into the prayers is, God, as we lift up these, our concerns to you, where we might be an answer to your prayer, send us. One of the things I love about James is James is a very practical nature. James isn't leaving this, the healing of God's people, verse 14, simply to a prayer where you remain far away. He sends people back to the church, to the elders, to the leaders of the church, and says, go there, gather with your family, gather with the church, and in that you might experience healing. You might experience forgiveness. When it comes to restoration from sin, from falling away from God, he says, it is your job to go and restore people to God, and when you do that, you might actually help them be in right relationship again and experience forgiveness, and that will cover a multitude of sins. It is our task to actually be the church. God chooses to use us to carry God's gospel into this world. And so I guess that's my question for us this morning. How is God leading you, how is God leading us to be a people who carry God's message of restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation to this world? When people are hungry, are we carrying them food? 
When people are lonely, are we providing companionship? When people need comfort, are we there to provide comfort? When they need healing, are we the hands of healing? When there are orphans and widows in our midst, are we a people who take seriously the needs of those who do not have parents here or have lost someone that was their companion in life? Are we living out the words of Christ for this world? I think that's my challenge. Over the next 40 days, we're going to be entering into a season of Lent. And Lent is a time where we enter back into a commitment to prayer, a commitment to discipline, of hearing God's word, of engaging with God's word. And we as a church, for these next 40 days, starting on Wednesday, are going to be doing a book together. We've shared this the last several weeks. It's called Wondrous Encounters. And all it is, is it is a a book of prayer and scripture. It has daily snippets that we might walk through together and encounter God in that place. And I think with this discipline, if you'll journey with us, uh, you will help to build the foundation James talks about, which is a commitment to be a people who take seriously God's word, who are deeply committed to prayer, who encounter God daily, and then are led to behave differently as a result. And that is my hope and prayer for us uh, during this, uh, this Lent. I'm going to close uh, with a prayer by Walter Brueggemann. Amanda and I are both using this this morning across worship services. And I'm just going to pray it for us. Uh, Brueggemann uh, wrote this in a book called Prayers for Privileged People. I think it's a very helpful prayer for us as we close this time in James uh, together. So as we close, let us pray. Almighty God, we pray as often as we meet that we might worthily magnify the holy name, except that before your holy name, we mumble in awe and timidity and cowardice. It is your holy name that we can uh, hardly utter. You are the father of all orphans, the son who is crucified and risen, the spirit who blows where it will, creator and maker of all that is, redeemer who frees us from the power of death, sanctifier who blesses us with, with betterness, your holy name that causes powers to tremble and angels to yield, your holy name that causes chaos to settle, and death to depart, and feverish anxiety to grow quiet. Your name we dare entertain in our dry mouths, on our thin tongues, between our quivering lips. No, we are not worthy to utter your name. We are so anxious and devious. We are so preoccupied and distracted. We who cannot stay awake to watch with you one hour. We who have our own ways in the world that are not your ways. Except that you have entrusted your holy name to us. You have called us as your witnesses. You have empowered us to be your good news messengers. So we pause to pray in this awesome moment in your presence. And we ask that you would match up your holy name with our poor testimony, that we may make your name and your power and your purpose very large and awesome and compelling, large before the rulers of this age, awesome amid the violence of our world and our government, compelling amid our mad pursuit of oil and commodities and safety, We pray for freedom and courage to praise you, that by our praise the angels in heaven may be invited in awe, the folk among us may be summoned to notice, and the children in our midst may be moved to trust you. You, you the lamb that is slain, are worthy to be praised. Take our unworthy selves, and by your good power let our praise toward you be done worthily, that you, your kingdom, and your power, and your glory might be made large in our times and in our places here and now. Amen.